All right. Well, if you'll take a copy of God's Word and turn to Ephesians chapter 1, you'll find our text in the Pew Bible on page 1,241. 1,241. We're just looking this morning at verses 3 through 6, but to give us some context, I'd like to read verses 1 through 14. Hear now the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word, that it tells us of your great love for us and a call to holiness. Be with us, O Father, by your spirit as we seek to understand. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, last year I got to take my little boy Thomas on his first uh, trip to a college football game. Now, it was an Alabama game, as, as you know. Uh, someone gave us some pretty nice tickets. And, you know, the, the whole ride up there, it's not close to Tuscaloosa. It's not a quick trip. So the whole way up there, we're talking about what to expect. And, and as it gets closer and closer, this five-year-old little boy, it becomes very clear that he has no clue what this is going to be like. In fact, he keeps asking me, is the stadium going to be as big as the T.R. Miller football stadium? <laughs> and so I'm trying to walk him through this. But at some level, he just doesn't understand. And so we you know, hike the two miles from our paid parking spot uh, to Bryant-Denny Stadium. And, and even as we looked up at this thing, uh, he's, you could tell he's still he's like, well, this is big. But it wasn't until we walked through the tunnel into the stadium itself. He looked around at the other 101,189 other screaming fans, the fifth largest city in the, city, in the town of, uh, state of Alabama on any game day, the screens playing videos and the teams warming up on the field that, that he began to really begin to take it in. But even then, he didn't understand it. I mean, think about this. A five-year-old with all these colors, 
everything going on, he's just trying to take it in. He doesn't understand the logistics of how many you know, hot dogs are sold that day or, or how the stadium is constructed, how much steel was needed and how much concrete and how many years it took to build this thing that gets used a few times a year. He wasn't concerned about other people there. He, he just was amazed, standing there in awe. And then he looked at me and said, thanks, Dad. He could not stop thanking me for taking him to the football game. In the opening letter, uh, opening section of the letter to Ephesians, Paul is going to have the same reaction to the salvation we have in Christ Jesus. He is in awe of what God has done for us. He may not understand everything about it, and I know we certainly don't. But he just stands in awe of everything that God has done for us. In fact, verses 3 through 14 is one long sentence in Greek. Have you ever seen a child just get so caught up, he's so excited about something, that he just, he just keeps babbling and babbling and babbling and babbling? That's a lot of what Paul is doing here. But there's real structure to this babbling, long, hairy sentence, as my sixth grade grammar teacher taught me. First, in verses 3 through 6, he's going to talk about what the Father has done for us in salvation. Then, in verses 7 through 12, what the Son has done for us in salvation. And then the final section, verses 13 and 14, about what the Holy Spirit has done with us in salvation. And through all of this, as, as Paul stands in awe of what God has done for us, we are reminded that God alone gets the credit for our salvation. Beginning, middle, and end. God gets all the glory and the credit for saving sinners like us. He opens in verse 3 with the words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word blessed here is one that we see throughout the Old Testament. It is a call to worship and, and praise God, to bless His holy name. His name is blessed. His name is worshipped. And we are called to do the same thing. Paul gets so wrapped up with this that he just can't stop stringing on other, other phrases and other conditional sentences based on this one command, blessed be to God. He even ends our section in verse 6 with a similar phrase. He says, to the praise of His glorious grace. But why should we praise the Lord? Like as Christians, we should say, yeah, that's a good thing, right? We should, we should praise God the Father. That's a great thing, but why? Paul goes into explicit detail here. He gives us a summary statement in verse 3. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Do you have uh, online banking? Uh, I, I do. And, and so you go in and if you have two or three or four different accounts, you can go in and the first page you come to is a summary page. And it tells you where you stand <laughs> for the good or for the bad. You know, big picture where you stand that day. Well, this statement that He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is a summary statement of all that Christ has done for us. God has greatly blessed us with physical blessings, hasn't He? Today, we have money in the bank, we have health and recovery, we have a place to worship, uh, we have our families, our jobs, our skills. Everything that we have that is good comes straight from the hand of the Father. But how much better are those spiritual blessings in our lives that will not rust and will not rot? They will not fade and they won't go away. 
those spiritual blessings that belong to us because we have been united to Christ. In fact, we are so connected to Christ, we are so identified with Christ, that he's going to say over in chapter 2, verse 6, that we have already been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. In some mysterious way, we are here and we are in heaven as well. That is how close, closely we are identified with the Son. That we have begun to experience the blessings of heaven here on earth as we yearn for the day when Christ takes us home or He comes and makes all things new. The Father has given us every spiritual blessing. Have you ever been to a, uh, a conference or some big Bible study program and you go away thinking, man, those people are better Christians than I am or they really have it together or I wish I had what they had? Well, this text tells us that every believer in Christ has every spiritual blessing. Everything that is needed for life and for godliness has already been given to us. The text says He has blessed us. Past tense. If we are in Christ, we have everything we need. He won't give everybody riches. He won't give everyone a nice house. He doesn't promise a peaceful retirement. But every Christian, no matter their age, stage, race, or place of birth, receives every spiritual blessing. As we think about our brothers and sisters in Africa who are living on less than $2 a day, can you imagine? They are impoverished physically, but spiritually before the Lord, they are rich. How often do we get blinded by our physical physical blessings and live as if we were impoverished from a spiritual place? He has given us everything we need. Things like the forgiveness of sins, justification, sanctification, perseverance, the Holy Spirit. He has redeemed us. He has ransomed us. He has bought us with a price that is not our own. He has made promises to us that He will forgive us. He will always be with us. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. He will protect us. He will make all things new. And He will give us resurrected bodies. These and so many more. And if we are in Christ Jesus, we are rich beyond our wildest imagination with spiritual blessings. And we can praise and bless His name because of what He has given to us. But Paul here is specifically concerned about praising God in the context of what is found in verse 4. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. What's Paul talking about here? Well, he's talking about the biblical doctrine of predestination or election. The Bible teaches that God loves us and loved us before we loved Him. That He chose to save us before He even created the world. Now, there are a few things in this world that'll get people's blood pressure boiling faster than this topic, predestination and election. And there are a lot of places in Scripture that Paul especially seeks to explain and even answer objections. I'm thinking especially of Romans 8 and 9. Go there. There's a lot there. But not here. He's not trying to defend anything. As Paul begins to think about how we are saved and all that God the Father has done for us, he is like Thomas, 
standing in Bryant-Denny Stadium. There's so much that Thomas didn't understand. As we sat there and watched the game, why are there so many TV timeouts, Daddy? I said, I don't know. You know why does the other team have to keep punting? Well, praise the Lord, son. You know, <laughs> there are a lot of things he didn't understand. But you better believe he enjoyed it. And that's Paul's thing here. He's not trying to explain things right now. He's just saying, praise be to God. And this morning, as we humbly come to God's Word, perhaps that ought to be our approach as well, because it's, it's the text. Well, why would Paul give glory to God for something like predestination, for choosing us before the foundation of the world? Well, it's because we're a rather startling choice. Um, last year, the Detroit Tigers had the overall first-round pick. What if instead of choosing, uh, um, I don't follow these things, I had to look it up, uh, Casey Mize, who pitched for Auburn, by the way, what if they, instead of choosing him, they had picked uh, the worst player on Thomas's coach pitch team and given him the $7.5 million signing bonus to go along with it? Now, that would have been a startling choice. They chose Mr. Mize because Mr. Mize had something that they liked. He had promise. Hopefully, he's going to be a good pitcher long term for him. But a, but a five-year-old terrible player on a coach pitch team can't do diddly squat. This is the illustration of salvation. We are not Mr. Miles. We are just like that five-year-old who has nothing to offer the Detroit Tigers. We are a startling choice. Think about who's writing this letter. It's Paul. How would he describe his former life? 1 Timothy 1.5, he's a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent to God. That's not generally a place you want to be. And yet God intervened in his life. Paul was not seeking after God. Paul was seeking to kill the people of God. We're a startling choice for salvation especially if you look over in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, where Paul tells us the condition of man before salvation. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that, that Satan, by the way, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. He did this choosing not when um, we were born, or even at the cross, or even when Adam and Eve sinned, as if this were plan B. But before the foundation of the world, before He created anything, God chose Himself a people whom He would save. And this means it wasn't because of anything good we've done. As, as Paul seeks to give God all the glory for saving him, he marvels that God would save him, a wretch, or that he would save any of us. Have you ever bought anything sight unseen? Or even buying things on eBay, right? Have you ever bought anything on eBay? Uh, and you, you know, it looks real good, and pictures are nice. Uh, but it's always a risk. 
because you don't really know if it's going to be what you want or not, if it's going to accurately describe what you got. God didn't buy us sight unseen. He knew what he was getting. It wasn't a surprise when we showed up as damaged goods because he had lavished his love upon us when we didn't deserve it. So he chose us from before the foundation of the world, but it wasn't so that we could remain as we are. It's not an excuse to go and live a uh, you know, terrible lifestyle. He chose us that we might be holy and blameless before him. Holy is a positive term. It means there's something positive that is there. And here, holiness means that we are set apart, special, obeying His commands, living lives free of sin. We are blameless is a negative term, meaning that there's something that is negative that's not there. Was that three or four negatives? Uh, that there is something that is bad that is absent in our life. In the Old Testament, you could not present before God a sacrifice that was blemished. You couldn't choose the worst of your, uh, your, your cattle or the worst of your sheep and take that one to God. You had to pick the best. That is the way that God calls us to live our lives. Saying no to sin. He saved us from our sin, out of our sin, so that we might no longer live in our sin. Just like he says in 2 verse 10, For we are His worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we should walk in them. But wait, there's more. It gets so much better. Now, if we were to stop here, we would have amazing things to praise God for forever and ever and ever. But there's so much more. At the end of verse 4 and end of 5, we have... These words, in love, in love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. You know, there are different relationships that exist in the legal world. Um, Someone can have contractual obligations to care for someone else, but there not be any kind of love or interaction between them. Think about a trust officer who is um, paid to divvy out funds of a trust to people he's never met. He has contractual obligations to provide for people that he has no love for, doesn't even know them. That's not our relationship with our Father. That is not the relationship with our God who has blessed us. See, He has predestined us, He has chosen us, so that we might be His sons, that we might be His children that we might be able to call upon Him and say, Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy, I need you. When we doubt God's love for us, we're reminded that He's not a trust officer. He's not contractually obligated to care for us. We're reminded that He is our loving Father. When we wonder if He's going to provide, it's our Daddy who owns all things. We have a special relationship with Him. When we wonder and wander away in seasons of sin, if we're Christians and His fatherly discipline is close behind us, when we need comfort and strength, the arms of His fatherly love surround us and He rejoices over us with singing because we're His children and He loves us. Why would He do these things? If we're dead in our trespasses and sins, not sick, but dead... And living after the things of the world in opposition to Him, why in the world would He save any of us? 
It's not because we deserve it. It's not because he's been backed into a corner. It's not because someone has forced his hand. Quite frankly, he wanted to. Isn't that amazing? As I showed our children the pictures of a, of a dead flower and a, and a uh, jalopy car and, uh, and a broken down crashed airplane, no one chooses those things. This is exactly what Christ has done for us. Why did he do it? Verse 5, I love verse 5. The ESV says, um, uh, according to the purpose of his will. Now, that, that's some cleaned up language. I love the, the New Living Translation here. It gets closer to what the Greek's saying. It says, this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I love that, right? This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. The Greek here speaks of deep desire, a burning desire that, that he would have to save lost sinners like us. Why? When you think of your love, when I think of my love, it's, uh, it's, a, it's often a love that is contingent upon the object of that love, right? Why do you love your car? It's a nice car. Why do you love your job? It's a good job. Why did God love us? It's not because we're good. God wasn't compelled to love us. And doesn't that say so much about His character and His nature? His desire is rooted in love. Verse 4, end of verse 4 says, In love He predestined us. There are different words for love in the Greek. Um, two I'll highlight uh, quickly. One is eros, uh, sexual love. It's a, it's a love that is based on something in the, the person that you're loving, that you like. There's something there that you like. This is not that word. That word never occurs in Scripture, actually. This is agape love. And it's a love that is selfless and has nothing to do with the object. The love of our Father is selfless. It is a deep commitment. He didn't do it begrudgingly. And why? Why might He love us? We finally get the answer. I'm going to get to the answer. It's found in chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, did you get that? Why does He love us? Because of the great love with which He loves us. That's the only answer we have. How great is His love that He would lavish it upon us. But our text ends with uh, verse 6. We're given another reason. To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Ultimately, everything that God does is for His own glory, that His name might be praised, that His reputation might be enhanced. And it glorifies Him, brings Him great glory, increases His reputation to save people like you and me who have no hope of saving ourselves. He is glorified, His name is magnified, and it gives us many reasons to worship Him because He has done everything needed for our salvation. All of this is because we are in Christ. Four times in our four verses, Paul is going to use those words. He has blessed us in Christ. He has chosen us in Him. He has predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. 
Our entire salvation is based and wrapped up in our union with Christ. That relationship that we have with Jesus. That we are no longer represented by Adam, the the original man, the first man. Because he sinned. He messed it all up. And we've inherited his guilt. But if we've put our faith in Christ Jesus, that's no longer our record. Our record is now the second Adam, the greater Adam, the one who resisted the temptations of Satan, the one who trusted God instead of calling out uh, God as if he didn't love him. He's the one who has fulfilled perfectly for us the law of God. And if we are in Christ, then all of these things belong to us. So as Christians, Paul calls us to glorify and praise and bless the name of God the Father because of all the blessings He's been bestowed upon us. But you know, let's admit, it is hard to live lives that glorify God. I mean, let's just talk about church. It's hard to sing those hymns when they get long and your, and your, your tummy starts to grumble, doesn't it? It's hard to go from this place. You say, I'm going to live a holy life. And then someone cuts you off in traffic on the way home. That's when you hope there's not a Christian fish on the back of your car. It's hard. God has called us. He has done these things so that we might be holy and blameless before Him. So how do we do it? We cling to Jesus. We cling to Jesus. How do we say no to sin when our heart wants it so bad? How do we run from the things of the world when they seek to entrap us? We cling to Jesus. We seek His help. Well, Christ holds out this union with Him to all those who would call upon Him in faith. There is great mystery in this doctrine, this biblical doctrine of predestination election. It is scriptural. Here it is, right there. You can't argue with these verses. But at the same time, God calls all those who would have Him to call upon His name. The offer is for all of those who would see their sin and repent of it. To say, I'm sorry, Lord, for how I've lived. I know it has brought you not glory, not honor. Forgive me. And I accept Christ and what He has done for me on the cross. This offer is held out to all who would call upon His name. These blessings are not, um, these are not stingy blessings just for those who have enough money to have them. It is for all those who would call upon the name of Jesus. Have you called on the name of Jesus? Or are you still living in sin? Turn that you might receive God's forgiveness and be union with Christ. Because if we do, then we will be granted eternal life and dwell with God and His saints forever in heaven. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessings through Jesus Christ in the heavenly places. Oh Lord, I pray that in light of these things, we would live lives that are full of praise of your name. That we would rejoice in all that you have done for us. And it would show forth in a life that has changed that we might live a holy life, a blameless life. That we might tell others about Jesus, that they too might receive this great gift of salvation. We thank you for this amazing grace in the name of Jesus. Amen.